application to say that we live in a broken world. Just the tragedies of the last two days, some 20 people murdered in El Paso, Texas, and many more injured. Last night, nine more killed in Dayton, Ohio, and many more injured. It's an indication of our broken world, a world that is in need so desperately for the gospel. Certainly, some of the aspect that we're dealing with is is mental illness, but some of it is just spiritual illness, that people are sick spiritually. And because of that, their brokenness causes them to do terrible things. We live in a, in a political environment. It doesn't matter which spectrum that you're on, and I'm not standing here to make, give any political statements, but I think it's very clear within our society that, again, we are a divided people, that there is anger and hatred everywhere we turn. So whether it's political party, whether it's economic, whether it's, it's race, uh, whether it's different ethnic groups, there's all kinds of divide within our world, and there's a brokenness there. And it's a time for the church to be the church, to make an impact, to make a difference. Now, the church through the years has become more and more marginalized by society. Part of that is due to society's changes. Some of that is due to the lack of influence that the church has had or the lack, the, the wrong kinds of image that the church has given. So the question is, what, what do we do? How do we impact the world for Christ? Obviously, we cannot have a, a world impact just by ourselves, other than through prayer and through finance and helping other people. But we can have an impact on our part of the world, of the people that we have contact with, of the family, friends, the people we work with. The example that you gave just in a, was it a grocery line where there was an impact made. All of us have those opportunities to make a difference so that we can help bring some healing to our broken world. It could be that even the Beatles had a little bit of a, a thought on this. You may remember this song, All You Need Is Love, da, 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 da. all you need is love. And it's true. All we need is love. That, that There's something true about that, although that's a little bit nebulous, but it's, it's, it's a good start. When I was a teenager, there was another song that was like this with the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's much too little of. That, so the, the world needs love. There's no question about that. But the question becomes, what is that love? What is love and how do we enact it out so that we can make a difference, that we can break down the barriers of hate, that we can break down the barriers of divide, and the church can be the church to express God's love to this world. And so I've, I've chosen a text today out of 1 John, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to do something that I haven't done for a long time. And after I get done, you may say, uh, don't do it for a long time again. <laughs> it's, it's what I'm calling a running commentary. So I'm going to read our text, and then I'm just going to go back verse by verse and talk a little bit about each verse. So it's maybe a little bit more of a lesson than a sermon. It's going to be a little bit more directed individually. So I hope it will be something where we can gain some insights to this important part and we can truly have the impact on our society God wants us to have. So First John, the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, 
Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that, God, that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command that whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's go back to verse 7 where he says, dear friends. He actually uses the word beloved there. Beloved ones. In fact, when I was in high school, there was a little chorus that we used to sing that came from these verses. I think it went like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, First John 4, 7 and 8. Do, 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 First John 4, 7 and 8. Yeah. That's how the little song went. But it was based upon these verses and to help you memorize these verses a little bit to sing that song over and over again. So he says, dear friends, beloved, let's love one another. That's a good place to start. Church, let's love one another. The church has often been the place where people don't love one another very well. Historically, unfortunately, the church has often been the place where we're the only army to shoot our wounded. That when people are wounded, then we kick them and we put them down. We, we, we can't have that. We need to start with love one another with our brothers and sisters. Let's love one another. Let's care for one another. Let's listen to one another. Let's be there for one another. Sometimes we need to reprimand one another. You see, love is not just namby-pamby, just soft and easy. There, there's both sides of love. There is an accountability as well as a support. But the church needs to be a place where it says, Behold how they loved one another. That's made a difference within society in the first century when people saw how the church loved one another and they loved God. And whatever they might say is they, they, they love. Barna has done some surveys, and in those surveys they found out 
that when people are outside of the church, when they look at the church, they see that we are judgmental, we are hypocritical, and we're anti-gay. Those are the top three. Now, that's a sad commentary, isn't it? That's as a whole. Would it be great if they say, oh, no, they love God and they love people and they, they do good works? <laughs> now, we know that that's the norm of the church, but the, the, the image is there. And we need to change the image. How do I change the image is by putting into practice these things with the relationships that I, I have. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And so when you love, you know that you've been begotten by God because God is love. And I want to talk about that aspect. Notice he doesn't just say God loves, but God is love. It's his nature to love. It's his being to love. It's who he is. I read a book once and it said, you know, because God is love, he had to create a world in which there was a choice. And when I first read that, I thought, well, God is God. He can do whatever he wants. Thank you. But as I thought about that a little bit more, I realized that the author was more correct than not. That because God's nature is love, he created a world in which there had to be choice because there is no love if there is no choice. Nobody wants to be loved just because they have to, because it's dictated, because it's in the script. We want to receive and we want to give love because we, people want to give it to us and we want to give it to others. That's what makes it meaningful, is love is reciprocal. God is love and therefore he is looking for beings, people, that will respond to his love, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because they are motivated by a relationship with him. I don't want to get too technical on this, but there are different kinds of Theistic views. One's called forensic theism. The other is called creative love theism. Forensic theism comes from the forensic world, from the legal world, in which God is viewed primarily as being a judge. And I think that's how many people within our world look at God. He's a judge. In fact, people have often said if they came into the church building, it would fall down because, you know, there would be some kind of judgment. God would be blown away that they ended up inside of a church building because they think of God as judge. When a natural catastrophe happens, people say, well, that's a judgment of God upon those areas. Because of their sin, God brings judgment there. And so often the view of God is judge. And I want to say that ultimately he is going to be that kind of judge. There is going to be a day of reckoning. And that somebody, people are going to be saved and some people are not. Some are going to go to heaven and some are going to go to hell, whatever that is. But the judgment, I think, that is seen in God in the New Testament is kind of similar to the judges of the Old Testament. The judges of the Old Testament were not just condemning. They were those who are guiding and helping. God is a judge in that he's trying to guide and help us. And, and that's why the other view of God here is that he is a loving parent. A loving parent, a good parent, does bring some judgment, does bring some punishment, gives some guidelines, gives some direction without being abusive in the process. But that, those guidelines are there with the intent so that that child will become a productive person, will be a good person, will be guided in a particular way in which how they, they ought to live. 
And that's the way God is for us. He is a judge in the sense that he is trying to give direction, as a loving parent would do so, you see. Not in the condemning sense. Now, ultimately, there will be a judgment, and those who have not responded to his love will pay the consequence of that. But in the meantime, we as a church are not to be in the place of judging, but we are to be in the place of loving. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. He's going to come back to judge it, but he came to bring salvation. The church isn't in our world to judge people. It is here to save people. The judgment's already there. They're already self-condemned. What we need to bring to the world is a salvation of Christ to know that they're worthwhile and God loves them. Their life can be different and it can be whole and there can be healing that comes because of Christ and because of his, his church. This is how God showed his love among us, verse 9. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. God wants us to enjoy life. Being a Christian doesn't mean there are a bunch of rules and regulations and, you know, we cramp our style as to how we can really enjoy life. And actually... God has given us a way by which we can really enjoy life, that we do not become a slave to sin, that we do not be just caught up in our own passions, that we allow God's love to be working in our lives so that we can find meaning and peace and joy. You see, it's more than happiness. Happiness comes from the word happening. And a happening can be good or bad, right? You you have a good happening, you're going to be happy. You have a bad happening, you're going to be unhappy. <laughs> it's part of life. It happens throughout the day. But joy and love is something that is inside of you. You can have joy, you can have love, even when you're unhappy. When your happenings are bad, you can still have joy within. And God wants us to have an abundant, full life, regardless of the external circumstances, because he lives within us and he is love and he is peace and he is joy. Verse 10, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Our sins have been atoned by Jesus. That is, they've been covered. A couple more theological terms. Justification and sanctification. Justification is counted not guilty. You and I have been justified by what Jesus did on the cross. His shed blood allowed our sins to be forgiven. There doesn't have to be a question about that. We don't have to worry about that. If, if somebody asks, do you know you're going to heaven? Do you know you're saved? And the answer is absolutely yes because of what Jesus has done. It's not because of what I have done. It's not how, how good I am. It's how, what he has done and how good he is. Sanctification is what we do, and we are to try to live a holy life. That's what sanctification is, and that's where our struggle is. We struggle with sin. We struggle with temptation. We struggle with things that, to do, that we do that we shouldn't be doing, and that becomes part of the issue. But you see, even though we struggle with our sanctification, doesn't mean that it negates our justification. You've been counted not guilty. And even though you sin, and even though you fall short, God's grace and God's forgiveness covers that. We can rest in Jesus, even though we at times cannot rest 
in ourselves. He is the atoning sacrifice. It's what he's done for us. How he's shown his love for us so that we can have peace with him, peace with ourselves, and peace with other people as we've been reconciled one to another. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, let us also love one another. For no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Because God lives within you and you show love, his love becomes complete in you. He wants his love to be complete in this world as we express that love. How do we do that? We care for one another. We listen to one another. We show kindness to one another. And that's true of people we like and people we don't like. You can, you can love somebody you don't like. Okay? You, you can love them. You don't have to like everybody. You're not going to like everybody, right? I mean, you just don't. Not everybody's going to like you. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we can still love one another in that process and do what's best in their best interest. He says, if God so loved us in this way, we ought to do that for others. Verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, a couple places, 3rd chapter and the 6th chapter, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? One time he's speaking to us individually, another time he's talking to the church as a whole, and he says, don't you know, y'all, that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit lives within this church. The Holy Spirit lives within you individually. Some of you may remember the old King James Version talking about the Holy Spirit used the word ghost. Holy Ghost. And people say, well, what is this ghost like? You know, I hope he's like Casper. He's Casper the Friendly Ghost and not some weirdo ghost that we see in, in some of those uh, horror movies. The word ghost back in the King James time meant guest. He was the holy guest. Not the holy ghost of being some Casper, but a holy guest. They He's a guest in your life. He lives within you. And as he lives within you, we we know that we have God's love and we know that we can express that love. He has given us his spirit. Verse 14. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. What the world needs now is Jesus is a savior for the world because this world is lost. It's broken. It needs healing. And it is only through his wounds that healing can come. And it is only as his church lives out that love will a broken world ever know. You see, government's not going to do it. We need government. There's no question about it. Every country needs government. It's needed to function. But government's not going to solve the problem. The economy is not going to solve the problem. Business isn't going to solve the problem. It's going to be the church. It's going to be Christ as he changes people's lives. He's the savior of the world. And he is saving people even in Egypt, even in Iraq, even in Iran. I've been in contact recently again with a young woman from Iran 
that I had the privilege of baptizing. She was the first Muslim person. I only baptized two Muslim people, but uh, she was the first one. She came to the United States to find Jesus. That was her intent. She knew when she was raised back home, there was something not quite right about her Islamic faith. And she came here because she knew she couldn't convert there. You could go to church. She could go to church with her friends because you can be a Christian in Iran. You can if you're raised within a Christian family. And you can visit church, but you, you can't dare um, convert. So she came here so she could find Jesus. And after she was baptized, she told me, I, I only regret one thing, Joe. And I said, what's that? She said, I wish you would have held me under the water longer. I said, Miriam, hold you under the water longer. What are you talking about? You know, I baptize a lot of people. Nobody's ever said that before. Most people don't like to be pushed under the water unless they're doing it themselves, right? You try to hold your own breath, go down, and that's okay. But somebody else is doing that, you're not so happy about it. I said, why in the world would you want me to hold you under the water longer? I said, because I felt such joy. And I said, Miriam, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that touched you back in Iran, the Holy Spirit that when you went to church with your friends, Holy Spirit that brought you here to the States, Holy Spirit who now lives within you. And he's changed your life. He's bringing joy and eternal life because of his presence. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. If you acknowledge, if you confess Jesus as the Son of God, God lives within you. God is love. So in this passage, he does it twice, right? Verse 8 and verse 16, that God is love. What I really like is how it's put in the Greek. It's like Yoda. You know how Yoda would talk and his words kind of go around? It actually says, God love is. God love is. Because what John is writing is, God is love. And so he stresses it with the word order. God love is. God love is. You see? That's who he is. That's his nature. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. The word confidence there is actually the word boldness. On the day of judgment, you and I can have boldness. We don't usually think of the judgment that way. And we have this image that when we get up there for the final judgment, there is going to be a, a screen of our life, you know, a movie. And it's going to take you through all the different parts of your life. And, and some of the secrets of your life are going to be revealed there in front of everybody uh, and before Jesus. We have this, this view. And that doesn't sound very inviting at all, does it? You know, so I don't want everybody to know all those, those uh, particular scenes that are, are stuck away. But... That's not the way it is. We can have boldness in the judgment. Why? Again, not because we're good, but because he's good. It's because what Jesus has done, our sins are covered. We are complete. We are forgiven. We are justified. We're counted not guilty. Whatever word applies for you through his grace, we're forgiven. We have boldness in the judgment because the price has been paid by Christ on the cross. It's a powerful powerful message if we can just not just have it up here but feel it in here as well and then he goes on in verse 18 so he says there is no fear in love 
because perfect love casts out fear. We don't have to fear God. We don't have to fear the judgment. We don't have to fear what's going on in this world. Paul said to Timothy, he says, God didn't give us a spirit of cowardice, but one of power and love and self-discipline. We live in a scary world, but we don't have to be afraid. That doesn't mean nothing bad's going to ever happen to us because it probably will. Because it just does in a broken world, and we become recipients of that. But we don't have to live in fear of all those things. We can have confidence that God is with us, for us, and before us in all matters. Perfect love casts out fear. He's talking, I think, particularly about the judgment, but I think it's also true in the other parts of life. That when we feel the love of God, we can know that he is going to be with us each step of the way, no matter what happens. We don't need to be afraid because his love is in us and his love is complete. I'm not saying these things are easy. I'm not saying that it's easy to apply. I'm trying to say this is what God, I believe, is saying to us in the world in which we're living in and what our world needs now. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's easy to respond. When somebody shows you love, you want to respond in love as a rule. And as a rule, when you show love to other people, they will respond in love. Not everybody does because some are just, um, they're just honorary, right? Some people are just honorary. And so you're really nice to them and they're still not nice to you. But as a rule, when you show love, people respond in love. At least they are nice enough, maybe even if it's not lovely. But here we have God loved us first. And so he's just asking us to respond to him. And then he makes this application that's a tough one. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now that comes really down into our relationships, and it's not easy because some people... If we don't hate him, we're pretty frustrated and angry with him. I know I can relate to that. But if I say I love God and I hate somebody, I'm a liar. Earlier, John said, if you hate somebody, you've murdered him. It's pretty strong language. That's part of the struggle of our sanctification, trying to live out our faith. But he says, if anyone loves God, they must also love God their brother. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. All you need is love. All you need is love. And it's true, but what we need is, is God's love. The love that God has shown us. The love that Jesus demonstrated. The worship team will come forward this time. We'll get ready to sing. When we look and see what kind of father we have, and we know that he's a good, good father, and that he loves us and he cares for us, we also then live in such a way. May impact Christian church have an impact upon the Victor Valley area. That what people would say about this church, behold how they love God, how they love one another, and how they love me, the broken me. The me that's different than they are. The me who doesn't believe what they believe, but yet they're people of love. And I think when that starts getting lived out by the church as a whole, 
We're going to see some things different, and we'll see some things change in our world. And much of the sadness, much of the tragedy, at least some of it, will go away because the church has truly been the church. If you're here today as we sing, we invite you to come to accept Jesus as your Savior if you've not accepted him in your life. If you're here today and you have some brokenness in your life, there'll be people up front, people in the back, who will be willing to pray with you to encourage you. I pray that all of us, as we sing this song, will make a decision that when we leave this place, uh, we'll try to put something that we've heard from this text to apply into our lives to live out so that the world may know that he is love. Won't you stand with me as we sing? Mm-hmm.